This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Today is Wednesday, July 15th, 2020. On this day in 1987, Taiwan ended 38 years of martial law. But that didn't necessarily mean peaceful, democratic governing would follow. Welcome to Today in True Crime, a ParCast original. I'm Vanessa Richardson, and today I'm joined by our guest host, Greg Polson. Parcast listeners might recognize Greg from a few Parcast shows, including Haunted Places. Thanks, Vanessa. On Haunted Places, we take you to the creepiest locations on the planet, putting listeners in the moment as we investigate thrilling and disturbing hauntings. Every week, I get excited to tell a new story, whether it's exploring scary sites on Haunted Places or here on Today in True Crime. And I'm so glad you could join me to cover today's thrilling crime story. Greg will discuss some of the historical aspects of Taiwan's martial law while I'll cover the narrative. Absolutely. Now, let's go back to Taiwan on July 15th, 1987. The voice of Taiwanese President Chang Ching Kuo rang loudly through the radio sets and televisions of Taipei. Citizens all over the capital city paused to watch and listen. Motorbikes pulled over, people disembarked from public buses, many bystanders out for walks stopped in front of storefronts and restaurants to listen to radios that had been cranked up to full volume. For nearly four decades, Taiwanese citizens had lived under martial law. Police governed the streets, and people could never be certain if their actions would be considered a crime. Arrests and punishments were common and arbitrary. But today, there was a unique feeling of apprehension and some confusion across the country. A year before, a new opposition party had emerged in Taiwan's political landscape. It was called the Democratic Progressive Party, and people were hopeful that it might mean changes were on the horizon. But that didn't mean their fear of government oppression was going anywhere. They knew that Ching Kuo's government was still wholly concerned with security, as made perfectly clear by a recent national security law. Passed early in July 1987, the law codified many of the restrictions martial law already put in place. It tightly restricted free speech and free assembly and severely limited the rights of journalists. Why, people wondered, did they need a new law to tell them what 40 years of oppressive martial law had already made clear? On July 15th, President Ching Kuo's address rang out from every radio and TV in Taipei and gave them the answer. Martial law was now over. Taiwan was going to embrace democracy. As the president's words settled in, there was little celebration in the streets. 
The Taiwanese citizens had lived through years of police crackdowns and government overreach, and especially considering the new national security law, they were far from certain this new shift would really make a difference. In fact, it might even make things worse. The motorbike engines started, people continued on their errands, and stores turned down the sound on their radios. For the rest of the day, news broadcasts continued to cover the announcement. But people weren't stopping to listen as they had earlier. They were thinking about other countries in the region that had come out of martial law, like the Philippines, and how violent the transition had been. Taiwanese citizens wondered if they would see water cannons and military in the streets in a few days. But in the meantime, only one thing was certain. The fallout of President Ching Kuo's announcement would change Taiwan forever. Coming up, the painful aftermath of martial law. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now, back to the story. On July 15, 1987, nearly four decades of martial law came to an end in Taiwan. My guest host, Greg, is here to discuss the aftermath. Thanks, Vanessa. To understand the significance of July 15, 1987, we need to briefly discuss an event that happened 40 years previously. In 1947, riots broke out after Chinese police beat a Taiwanese woman in the street. The ensuing political instability lasted for 18 months. The island province of Taiwan was undergoing a violent rebirth as a democratic state within China's nationalist regime. At least it was, until President Chiang Kai-shek instituted martial law. Kai-shek was a Chinese leader who opposed the Chinese government and went into exile in Taiwan. The island became a breakaway state, not Chinese, but not fully independent either. Kai-shek's son, Chang Ching-kuo, became president after his father's death and upheld the martial law order, until his 1987 announcement. But the end of martial law came after years of shifts in Taiwanese politics. Like other places in the world in the 1980s, including the Soviet Union, there was a wave of democracy sweeping through the government. The trade markets had become more privatized and open, which led to a rapid growth in Taiwan's economic development. As the economy became more powerful and liberal, the politics of the citizens and the government followed suit. It was only a matter of time before martial law would have to end because it was an obstacle for economic growth. However, President Chang Ching Kuo didn't want to undo the restrictions all at once, which is why the national security law had been passed before he abolished martial law. He wanted Taiwan to have freedom, but not too much of it. By labeling so many freedoms criminal activities, including peaceful protests and independent newspapers, the government was able to maintain control while appearing to expand its democracy. The citizens noticed, and it didn't take long for some of them to start protesting. The government often responded with force, just as many Taiwanese had feared. 
But throughout the 1990s, there were hard-won increases in freedom of speech and freedom of assembly, thanks to the Taiwanese people's consistent pressure on the government. They demanded real democratic freedom, and they started to get it. Meanwhile, destruction of public monuments became more common. Some of these monuments were in honor of Chinese national pride. And after martial law was gone, independent-minded Taiwanese citizens felt they no longer had to fake that pride. If Taiwan was going to truly embrace democracy, that meant cutting ties with China. Unfortunately, China had something to say about that. China tried to get a grip on Taiwan's politics by passing laws affecting Taiwanese citizens. But facing a population of already enraged, politically active citizens, they were met with constant protests throughout the streets of Taipei. A political stalemate ensued. To this day, China's approach is to simply call Taiwan a province of China. Whether or not, everyone agrees. And so, the conflict dating back to 1987 and before drags on. On July 15, 1987, Taiwan's government, under the influence of China, wanted the appearance of democracy. Then and now, the citizens want to live it. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Thanks again for joining me today, Greg. Thanks for having me. You can find my podcast, Haunted Places, on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. Today in True Crime was created by Max Cutler and is a Parcast Studios original. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Mike Ramos, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Joshua Kern. This episode of Today in True Crime was written by Andrew Messer, with writing assistance by Nora Battelle. I'm Vanessa Richardson. 